organ is one of the only instruments that you play with both your hands and your feet, second in popularity probably only to the drum set. The top keyboard looks like a piano keyboard, but down low is what's called a pedal keyboard, and you play it with your feet. I have enough trouble with the piano and just the one pedal, so the idea of organ pedals is way beyond me, but that's just me. Let's ask the horns what they think. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about music played on piano keyboards and music played on pedal keyboards and sometimes music played on computer keyboards. It's almost Halloween, and we've got a trick-or-treat-tacular strong song for you this episode. It also features quite a bit of organ. So sit back, turn up the volume, and enjoy the show. PC music doesn't just spring into the world fully formed. There are a bunch of steps along the way in the process of its creation. And each of those steps or phases is sort of interesting to consider on its own terms. There's the initial conception when you come up with the idea and sort of first figure out what it's going to sound like. There's the writing and arranging where you take that initial idea and sort of turn it into something bigger, arrange it, maybe figure out what instruments it's going to be on, start really finalizing what it's going to sound like. There's the recording and the performance when you get together with other musicians or you play the parts yourself and you record them and they kind of become real. Then there's the editing and the fine-tuning, which comes after that. Everything has been recorded. You basically know what you've got, but it's just time to kind of perfect it and fine-tune it. And then there's kind of finalizing it, putting it out there. And then after all that, there's the subsequent performances of it, when you take the piece of music as it exists and perform it for real people in the real world. I like each of those steps in the creative process for different reasons, and you know they're all essential parts of creating a piece of music. My favorite, though, is probably the editing and fine-tuning. That's the time where the music is kind of done and you're getting excited because you know you know it sounds good, but it doesn't sound quite finished yet, and you still have time to sort of fine-tune it and really make it perfect and make it sound exactly like you want it to. And it's also still yours. This is a time where I find I'm, I'm still not sharing the music with many people. It's just me and the music, but I have the most finished version of it before I finally put it out into the world. And I just love that process of sitting there and just going over it over and over and over again and perfecting it and fine-tuning it and realizing, you know, having little breakthroughs where you realize, oh, if I just put this over here and, oh, maybe if I remove that part and add something else, and before you know it, you have something that sounds different and even better and closer to what you were imagining when you first started writing the piece. I recently got to have this experience. I put out a music video that was this musical arrangement I did of a video game theme song, the theme music from the 1990 adventure game uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, and I recorded this kind of elaborate multi-instrumental arrangement of it and spent quite a while working on it, and it was so fun once I had the bones of the thing laid out and could just start really getting in there and figuring out what I wanted to sound like. It was just such a rewarding process, and then doubly rewarding because people seemed to like the video when I posted it. It was a welcome reminder of how cool it is to make music, that magical process that I hope to illuminate every other week on this show. (laughs) 
So thanks so much to everyone who listened, who watched the video, and who shared it. And yeah, if you haven't seen the video, I will put a link in the show notes and check it out. It was a pretty good time, and I think I'm going to start doing things like that uh, more regularly on my YouTube channel. So, as they say, like and subscribe. All right, let's get into this episode's strong song, which is being published the day before Halloween. That spookiest, scariest, and usually sweetest holiday there is. When I saw that I was going to have an episode coming out the day before Halloween, I knew there was really only one thing that I could focus on. One of my favorite movies, one of my favorite musicals from one of my favorite composers. And the song that I want to talk about from that musical is not actually specifically about Halloween. It's actually about another holiday. But then again, that's sort of the whole point of the movie. What song am I talking about? What musical? What composer? What mixing of two well-known holidays? Well, it could only really be one thing, couldn't it? That's right, it's time to visit with Jack Skellington and the rest of the gang from Halloween Town as they do their best to recreate an entirely different holiday in the classic 1993 movie The Nightmare Before Christmas. All together, that's in this with all our tricks I've been excited to talk about this movie and to go more in-depth with composer Danny Elfman's music for quite a while, so with all my tricks, I am going to be making a Strong Songs episode out of Making Christmas. The song Making Christmas, of course, being the fulcrum point in the middle of the 1993 animated film, it's basically a story of a bored god who causes a lot of trouble and learns to stay in his lane. So, you know, really relatable stuff. When I saw this movie, I was about 13 years old. I saw it in theaters. This was before Disney had picked it up in re issued it before it had become a staple of Halloween and Christmas and beloved by children everywhere. It was just this strange looking movie in movie theaters that I went and saw with my dad because I thought it would be cool, but I didn't really know what it was that drew me to it. When I walked out of the theater, I knew exactly what drew me to this movie, and it was the music. Danny Elfman's songs and score were the first time I can remember sitting in a movie theater and thinking, this, this is what I like. It wasn't exactly that I hadn't heard anything like it before. I definitely had heard something like it before in late 80s Tim Burton movies like Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands and Batman and Batman Returns. I had even heard it, without maybe realizing it, in the theme song from this hot new cartoon everyone was talking about, The Simpsons. In other words, I was familiar with the music of Danny Elfman, even if I didn't fully know him by name, but this was the first time I can just remember sitting in the theater, and it was during that music you just heard. It's the Christmas Eve montage when Jack finally takes his sleigh out and almost completely ruins Christmas for everybody. When that music played during that sequence, I just remember being so captivated by it, and it's a crystal clear memory for me, really, even all these years later. So The Nightmare Before Christmas will always occupy a special place in my heart. I think that it does for a lot of people. 
people. This is beyond a cult classic. At this point, it's just kind of a classic. A lot of people love it. I know that my two nieces love it, which makes me so, so happy that they uh, that they like this movie. I hope that they're listening to this episode and that it will help them appreciate the music even more. So when I went into this, I knew I wanted to do a song from The Nightmare Before Christmas, and I thought that it would be a challenge to decide which song to pick. The last episode I did about a musical was about Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, and that one, you know, Satisfied wound up being a good one to pick because it kind of had a whole lot of the motifs and themes and musical ideas that then float around for the rest of the musical. But there are definitely a lot of other songs from that musical I could have picked because most musicals tend to work as these, you know, much bigger pictures, these collections of songs that actually interweave a bunch of ideas, more so even than albums or really even concept albums a lot of the time. So uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas is very similar. There are these really strong motifs that Elfman weaves throughout the whole musical, and I thought it'd be tricky, you know, do I do This Is Halloween? Do I do Jack's Lament? You know, which song do I pick? And then I kind of listened to the whole soundtrack from start to finish, and it was extremely clear that Making Christmas is the song to focus on for this musical. As I mentioned, it's a fulcrum point, both musically and narratively. Narratively, in terms of the story, it's a fulcrum point because it's where Jack Jack and his minions set about kind of making their weird, creepy, off-brand Christmas, which is really the whole story, you know, that's the whole thing, is what if the people from Halloween made Christmas, and that happens in this song. It's sort of what gets us from the first half, which is Jack discovering Christmas and figuring out what makes it tick and realizing what he wants to do, and the second half, which is him actually enacting his plan and realizing what a huge mistake he's made. Musically, it's also a bit of a fulcrum because it brings together so many of the different ideas and elements that make this movie sound so cool, that make it so special. It introduces the most iconic and, I would say, important musical motif of the entire movie. It's actually a motif that puts an earlier character theme in a slightly different light. And it takes the two defining musical energies of this whole movie. Of course, those energies being the musical energy of Christmas and the musical energy of Halloween. And it places them right up against one another for an extended instrumental sequence that I think is just brilliant. It's a great piece of music from a great musical, and I am excited to dig into it with you all today. Let's start at the very beginning. Making Christmas begins with a very small collection of instruments playing a single motif that just happens to be the most important motif in the entirety of The Nightmare Before Christmas. All right, so there it is. Over on the left, you have what sounds to me like the strings. I think it's the violins playing pizzicato, it's called, which is when you pluck a violin instead of bowing it, as usual. And over on the right is the harp, and we have this kind of cool ping-ponging effect as they bounce that motif back and forth between them. It creates a pretty cool stereo effect that really could just be that the harp was over on one side of the stage and the strings were over on the other side. So of course those notes are the main motif of this song. Bum 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 making Christmas. We're in B minor, but I am not actually going to trace all of the key changes in this. There are so many key changes. If you remember when I talked about the Simpsons theme back on our Strong TV Songs Animated Edition episode, there were so many key changes in that and it just kept kind of blowing my mind how often Elfman likes to change keys. He does that in this piece too and I'll I'll highlight it maybe a couple times, but I don't want to get sidetracked just going through constant key changes because there are so many. But we do start in B minor with that motif, bum, 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 which is just three, two, three, one in B minor. Making Christmas. Making Christmas. 
Oh man, there's already so much cool stuff going on in this arrangement. Danny Elfman is the master of the woodwinds. We'll talk about some of the woodwinds in a minute. But first off, just on the concept of a motif as a refresher for anyone, you know, I'm using that word a lot. I'm going to use the word that word a lot on this episode. And what is a motif? So I can really just explain it in terms of how I use it. And I use it sort of interchangeably with the idea of a theme or a character theme. A motif is usually a short melody that is then associated with a character or an event or a place. And every time you see that place or that character talks, you'll maybe hear that musical motif woven into the music underneath them or their main kind of identifying song. You know, the main melody will be defined by it. Back on the episode about Satisfied from Hamilton, of course, that song did so much with the various themes for different characters, Eliza's theme and Angelica's theme and Alexander Hamilton's theme. That musical is like a masterclass in how to use motifs interestingly. So The Nightmare Before Christmas is definitely not short on motifs. There have been several really important ones introduced before Making Christmas, and then Making Christmas, as I mentioned, is kind of a fulcrum that introduces the most important motif. So let me recap the motifs so far, which will also help me kind of recap the story so far, just in case anyone out there doesn't know the story of The Nightmare Before Christmas. The first motif that is introduced, of course, is the theme for This Is Halloween, which is a motif that kind of stands in for Halloween throughout the rest of the movie. This is Halloween, this is Halloween. After that, we hear Jack's Lament, which introduces Jack's motif. Oh, somewhere deep inside of these bones, an emptiness began to grow. He then discovers the magical grove of trees that transports him to Christmas Town, where we hear What's This, which is another major motif. It's kind of the motif of discovery and joy as Jack discovers Christmas and experiences something new for the first time in probably forever. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? couple other motifs. Of course, we get Kidnap the Sandy Claus as Jack sends the troublesome trick-or-treaters lock, shock, and barrel off to kidnap Mr. Santa Claus so that Jack can take over and do Christmas for him. Kidnap the Sandy Claus, lock him up real tight. Throw away the key and then turn off all the lights. And of course, there's Sally's theme, a really lovely melody that plays when Sally gets to sing her song later in the musical, but of course accompanies her throughout the whole thing and is another important motif. Really beautiful singing by Catherine O'Hara there. It's fun to think that an actress I've seen in so many comedies would be so good in this kind of classic goth ingenue role. You know, Sally kind of doesn't get the most to do in this movie. I'm watching it as an adult. I'm more aware of what short shrift her character gets. But O'Hara does a great job with the role and sings really wonderfully. So while the examples that I played for those motifs come from the songs that established them, you know, This Is Halloween, that theme, that motif, is established in the song This Is Halloween, um, What's This is established in the song What's This, you'll hear those motifs, those little melodic ideas. Man, they're everywhere, and most of the time it isn't even subtle. So it's a fun thing, especially if you don't usually consciously listen for that kind of thing, to just put on headphones and listen to this musical, to listen to the album from start to finish, and pay attention for that kind of thing, because it's really, it's really fun, and there's so much rich layering going on in the orchestrations that Elfman's come up with. 
So with all those motifs established, that of course brings us back to Making Christmas, which at the very beginning establishes the Making Christmas motif, which I've already played for you. And that collection of notes, those four notes, Making Christmas, those four notes just come to embody this entire folly, this entire terrible undertaking that Jack and the residents of Halloween Town have pursued very enthusiastically. And this kind of captures their weird, dark enthusiasm as they try to do something that they really just shouldn't have tried to do. The children will indeed be surprised, but not in the way that I think Jack was hoping they would be. So during this opening sequence, we get some really cool flashes of Danny Elfman's real mastery of woodwind orchestration, and I'm just arranging. He takes that motif, bum 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 bum, and just splashes it and bounces it around the orchestra, and particularly around the woodwind section. I definitely could not break down and highlight every single cool little solo and flourish that happens in this piece of music. We, I just can't do it. It's, it's way too much. But um, I just want to highlight like a couple of bars here at the beginning and point out what's going on. So just listen to this very short sequence. Alright, so I want to try to attune your ears to all the things that are going on there. The first thing that's happening is underneath everything else, and that is the timpani. The timpani is a large drum played in orchestras and wind ensembles. It's in the percussion section, and you tune it to different notes depending on what song you're playing. Sometimes you retune the timpani in the middle of a performance, which can be cool. You'll see the timpani player back there playing it, and then they'll pull out a pitch pipe and kind of sit down there with it really quietly trying to retune it to a different note. Because the timpani is a really low drum, it sounds like this but it's pitched, so you want to play it in the key of the song that you're in. And in this case, I'm pretty sure that what I'm hearing is a D and a B. So we're still in B minor here, and I think that it's kind of outlining the one and the three of the B minor chord. So listen to that over on the left in the clip that I played. The vocalist will come in and then listen for what instrument comes in after them. Okay, so that's really cool. Just a few beats, but it does this kind of thing that Danny Elfman likes to do where he bounces an idea around the orchestra really quickly. So the timpani is kind of playing boom, 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 which is not quite the motif, but it's two of the notes from the Making Christmas motif. And then immediately after that, the vocalists come in and sing Making Christmas. And then right after them, the clarinets, it's a couple of clarinets, play this very high, um, sort of interesting little rendition of it. Then over in the right, you'll hear some double reeds, those are bassoons. So the bassoons play it much lower down. And then we get the lowest, coolest sounding rendition, which is played by a bass clarinet and I think a contra bass clarinet with an assist from a contra bassoon over on the right. It took me a minute to figure out what I was hearing there, but it helps to just imagine the orchestra up on a stage with stereo microphones set up, because I think that is how it's set up. And so you've got the clarinet section is sort of middle left, and then over on the right is the bassoon section. And if you know they're there, you can actually kind of hear what's happening, especially those really cool contra instruments, you know, the contra bass clarinet and the contra bassoon, both of which are these huge, um, kind of uncommon and really cool woodwind instruments. You know, a contra bassoon is like the size of a building and just sounds earth-shaped. 
taking. You can actually hear all of those sections really clearly a little bit earlier in the piece during the lead into the vocals. The bassoons over on the right, the regular bassoons, and then the contrabassoon below them. And then over on the left, the bass clarinet, or I think it's a contrabass clarinet, kind of sneaks in. You can hear that right here. It's just a really cool sound, right? You can hear the regular bassoons over on the right first. They play that making Christmas motif. But then that when it creeps in on that super, super low note, a little lower than I can sing, um, the bass clarinet comes in and the contrabassoon comes in and it gives it just that creaky, rumbly, low sound. I love that contrabassoon in particular. It's such an otherworldly sound, and Elfman uses it so effectively throughout the musical. You can actually hear it really well during the closing credits version of Making Christmas, which I will play for you now just so you can hear it. It's over in the right, and it plays the whole melody, and it's just that unbelievable low-sounding woodwind instrument that just sounds like it's just bubbled up from the depths of the earth. Oh man, you hear it over there on the right? That's it. You can hear it really low here. <laughs> and then if that wasn't enough, he combines it with a low brass to give you this this like chest rattling final note of the closing credits. So, you know, contrabassoon is pretty cool. All right, so back to this little moment that we're talking about. I mentioned that the bass clarinet and I think contrabass clarinet play the motif over kind of to the left, but you can hear them getting a little bit of an assist from the contrabassoon. It just plays two very little, very low notes. It's kind of hard to hear, but it's over on the right. Just listen for it and see if you can hear it. And after that, we get one more sung version of the motif by the guy wheeling a wheelbarrow full of um, jack-o'-lanterns with a very low voice, but they do something clever along with his very low voice. See if you can hear what it is. So there's a flute that plays along with him, a flute solo that plays up high uh, while he's singing down low, which is so clever and kind of ties this whole little run of motifs and motif fragments that are all kind of woven together and bounced around through the orchestra together. So like I said, we're not going to get this granular with the entire recording. We're just treating these couple of measures uh, with this level of granularity, but I want to go through it. So we start with the timpani. The timpani is just in B minor. First, the vocals sing the initial motif from Making Christmas. Quickly after that, it's echoed by the clarinets, and then the bassoons, then that bass clarinet, and then the low vocals with a high flute on top. And that is just a couple seconds of this lengthy and very elaborate arrangement. Um, it's cool to listen for that kind of thing and to start to try to pick out those voices um, amid the, the whole arrangement because it's really well recorded and there's a lot of space for them to come out if you can just pay attention and really try to follow along. So let's listen to that whole clip again and I want you to just really listen to the journey as it goes across the orchestra and also kind of down in terms of um, timbre. It starts out with the vocals, then we get the clarinets up really high, then the bassoons down low, then the contrabass clarinet down very low. And then we end kind of with a split between the two with the very low vocals and the very high flute playing the motif one last time. Here we go. Making Christmas. Making Christmas. 
So, you know, just a couple of measures of the intro, we're now finally into the actual first statement of the full melody, not just that motif. And that's how much information is packed in there. So apply that kind of listening to this entire musical and you will be amazed how much fun you have and how many cool things you hear. All right, so let's listen to that first full melody statement. This comes from the mayor of Halloween Town, who's just so very excited that they're that they're all working together. And he comes out and sings through the melody. All right, so that melody is doing something cool with that motif, that main making Christmas motif. And that is, it starts with it, obviously, because this is when he sings making Christmas over and over again. That sounds like this. So that's the first half of the phrase. The second half of the phrase takes that same motif and just flips the beat around and then takes it down a few steps and does something where it's the same notes in the same order, but the rhythm is turned around so it sounds different. It's the first of several ways that this motif gets flipped around in an interesting way or comes from an interesting place. But uh, this is just the first way they do it, and it's pretty straightforward but cool once you can hear it. Basically, the rhythm is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, like that. And then suddenly it's two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. So they just flip it, and as a result, you get the same motif, but it feels very different because the rhythm is backwards compared to how it started. Christmas, making Christmas is so hard. It's ours this time, and won't the children be surprised? It's ours this time. So you can already see Elfman and the musicians, they're doing a bunch of cool things with this one motif, kind of splitting it up, bouncing it around the orchestra, singing it in different places, rhythmically displacing it. And the song is, I mean, a couple of seconds in at this point. There's still so much to go. Uh, So let's keep going and just keep listening for all of that, for how that motif is everywhere. Almost everything is made out of it. And also just for the different instruments that are popping in and out. I really want to do a whole sidetrack about the little xylophone part that plays behind the mare because it's so cool, but we don't have time. So I'm just going to play that again and let it play a little bit longer. But listen for the xylophone. Do yourself a favor. Always listen for the xylophone. Christmas, making Christmas is so hard. It's ours this time, and won't the children be surprised? It's ours this time. Pretty fun, right? I mean, it's just that one piece of musical information, ba-da-da-da, and it's just been spread out and bounced around and turned into so many different things that it creates an entire musical experience. So there are a lot of different instruments in there. The woodwinds are doing some really cool things, but there is one instrument that's introduced toward the end of that line that's very important, and that is kind of the emblematic Halloween instrument in this uh, in this piece, and that, of course, is the organ. The ultimate Dracula in his castle sound, this sort of descending thing um, that, you know, this organ plays a really cool role a little bit later in the recording, but I just wanted to note that it is introduced there. I don't have an organ sound that can kind of match this. I love the way this organ sounds. Whatever organ they recorded for this just sounds really good. Christmas, making Christmas. 
So during the sequence, we just see the Halloween Town denizens kind of doing their best unsupervised to make cool Christmas presents, and uh, it kind of gives some nice foreshadowing for what a disaster this whole thing is going to be. But the whole town is together, and they're very excited, and of course, that's when it's time for Jack to show up and see his dreams come true. Here comes Jack! I don't believe what's happening to me. My hopes, my dreams, my fantasy. Jack Skellington, of course, voiced by Danny Elfman himself in the singing parts anyways. A different actor plays him for the speaking parts, but let's be real. The singing parts are kind of what define Jack, and Danny Elfman is very much Jack Skellington. We'll talk about his singing a little later, but first, I bet you thought we were done talking about that making Christmas motif. Well, we're not, because it's time to kind of zoom out on this thing and really go all in on it. Okay, so we know what the main making Christmas theme is, right? It's this. Okay, so when Jack comes in, he actually sings the same melody. This is the same theme that he introduced back earlier during the song called Jack's Lament. We actually played a clip of it earlier in the episode, and you probably heard it. It sounds like this. The first time that he sings that in Jack's Lament, it sounds like this. Oh, somewhere dear side of these bones an emptiness began to grow. So when he turns up in Making Christmas, his entrance is marked with the same melody and he sings the main melody with different lyrics. He sings, I don't believe what's happening to me. But it's that same motif, it's that same theme, you know, the theme that was introduced in Jack's Lament. I don't believe what's happening to me. My So that kind of thing is a little bit what I'm talking about when I say that making Christmas is this crucial fulcrum point in the musical, but there's more actually. So let's look at that theme a little bit closer. Here are the notes of that initial um, motif that's associated with Jack. And then it goes down a few steps and it kind of reprises the same motif. Now, if you've been listening closely, maybe this is already kind of sounding familiar to you, but let's listen to the first four notes of Jack's motif. Hmm, Now, let's play those same first four notes with a different rhythm. That's right, the motif for Making Christmas is actually nestled within Jack's theme, the theme that Jack introduces during the song Jack's Lament, as he stands there on that famous rolling and unrolling hill, feeling empty inside. The seeds of Making Christmas are already inside of him. He's going to fill that emptiness up with the Christmas that he makes for himself, and it's right there in the music. Oh, somewhere deep inside of these bones and empty began to grow. This was something I had never realized until I started learning this stuff, and it's not even actually all that subtle once you learn it, because the theme actually moves down the same amount during Making Christmas. Remember, it starts here, and then it goes and rephrases it by turning the beat around. Jack's motif does the same thing. It starts up, and then it goes down the same amount and makes the same kind of a shape. 
It's very cool and, of course, totally logical that Jack would have Making Christmas built within him since this whole thing is basically his idea and his dream, that it was always there from the beginning. But very cool that Danny Elfman did that. However, it doesn't actually stop there. Let's go one layer further out and figure out where that motif might come from. Just a collection of four notes. We know it as Making Christmas, but we also know it as Jack's Lament. If we just focus on the making Christmas part of it, just those four notes, and just listen to them on their own. So for starters, just a little bit of extra context about 13th century Gregorian chant. There is a very famous motif that turns up in all kinds of movies that a bunch of listeners actually told me about when I first published this episode, and it is called the Dies Irae. It's a beautiful piece of music that turns up all over the place in movies, especially those first four notes, which are the same as the first four notes of Making Christmas. In fact, if you listen to Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkin's famous score from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, you will hear that same motif uh, very prominently. So that's the DS Ray, and it's in a lot of movies. Like I said, I actually wasn't super familiar with this, uh, The Perils of a Jazz Education, but I figured I wanted this episode to be complete and to mention it, so I'm adding this after publication. Uh, there's a very good Vox video explaining it that I'll link in the show notes. Given the DS Ray's links to death and the fact that it turns up in so many movies, it does seem likely that Danny Elfman was referencing it with this theme that makes up so much of The Nightmare Before Christmas. However, there is one other melody that I hear when I hear the Making Christmas theme. Interesting. Okay, what if we what if we sped them up a little bit? What if we sped them up even more? What if we changed the pulse to more of a galloping rhythm and played those four notes over and over again? Wait a minute. That's right, the four notes that make up the Making Christmas motif, those same four notes that start Jack's theme during Jack's Lament, and heck, the first four notes of the DSE Ray, are none other than the main four notes from the Carol of the Bells. I love this so much, and I should say, I've never actually looked up confirmation for this or Googled it. This is totally something that's in my own head. I don't know if Danny Elfman has ever talked about this or confirmed that he did this on purpose. Maybe The Carol of the Bells is also just based on the DSE Ray. Maybe it's all in my head. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't really think so, partly because those four notes are so integral to the musical identity of this of this particular musical, and the whole idea of this musical is taking these Halloween musical 
sounds, these creepy sounds, and mixing them with classic Christmas sounds, and kind of taking the two holidays and turning them into one. It's perfectly fitting that the song Making Christmas would be built around such an iconic and really cool melody as the Carol of the Bells. So keep that in mind the next time you watch this movie or listen to this soundtrack, every time you hear that Making Christmas, that four-note Making Christmas motif, what you're really hearing is a 13th century Gregorian chant and an early 20th century Ukrainian Christmas carol. So when Jack walks into the town square in Halloween Town and sees everyone hard at work and he sings a reprised version of his own theme that was introduced in Jack's Lament, within that theme are the same notes from the motif of the current song Making Christmas, and those four notes are also the primary motif from one of the most iconic Christmas carols of all time. Extremely cool. I don't believe what's happening to me. My hopes, my dreams, my fantasies. (laughs) Okay, so that maniacal laugh is as good a reason as any to talk about one of the most important musical aspects of this song and of this musical, and that is Danny Elfman's voice. No animal nor man can scream like I can with the fury of my recitations. That line might be a little bit on the nose, but it is true that no animal nor man can scream quite like Danny Elfman can. Longtime fans of Elfman's work, of course, know him as the lead singer from the new wave band Oingo Boingo, and he brought so much character to that band with his singing. a clip from Dead Man's Party, which was released on an album of the same name in 1985. It's one of their most famous songs. I'd say Oingo Boingo's other most famous song is probably Weird Science, which a lot of people know. I think that was the first time I'd ever heard them. But I got into them kind of a while after I first heard them as a kid, and they're a great band. That's one band that you should really go check out, and it's especially cool knowing that Elfman is also Jack Skellington, because you can hear him in basically every single song they do. Horn parts on that tune too. So one thing that Elfman does vocally that I think is really impressive is he just has this great range and a really awesome falsetto and mix. He'll do these things. I mean, he'll go back into his voice and then he'll go up here and he'll go really high and he'll go really low and then he'll sing in his fry. And he's he's capable of doing a lot of interesting textures with his voice. He was never afraid to do that in Oingo Boingo, and it's one of the things that makes that band sound so distinct. Is their lead singer sometimes he has a range that's kind of like Sting. But he does something that's just a little more dramatic, a little more theatrical, and a little bit more involved. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intentions? And I love it. I love the way that he sings. And he gets to just totally play with that in this role as Jack. 
I rewatched this movie for the first time in a while last week while I was getting ready for this episode. And first off, it's just a really fun movie to watch. I hadn't seen it in a long time and had forgotten just there's so many visual gags. The visual richness of this movie matches the musical richness of it. It's just if you look away for five seconds, you miss like three jokes. The stop motion animation and the miniatures are so cool looking. It really holds up in a lot of ways. But one thing that I had forgotten is that they got a different voice actor to play Jack in the scenes that aren't sung. It's an actor named Chris Sarandon, who many of you may actually know as Prince Humperdinck from The Princess Bride, and they cast him after the fact to match Elfman's voice. He's not in the movie a whole lot, but it's actually a little bit weird when he's on because Jack seems like a very different character when he's talking versus when he's singing. That's not my Christmas. My Christmas is filled with laughter and joy and this my Sandy Claus outfit. Like, it's not a huge deal, but he just sort of sounds like a dope. He's kind of this pompous dope walking around. My Sandy Claus outfit. And then he goes and sings and it sounds like this. No animal nor man can scream like I can. It's not a complaint exactly like I get why they did it the way that they did. And actually having Jack seem a little bit more like a pompous buffoon in the acted scenes works in the movie's favor. Partly because Jack is a pompous buffoon. I mean, he's not just a cool guy who does everything right and partly because it just makes a little less scary and I think that making this movie less scary than it is or less scary than it could be was definitely something that the people making it wanted to do because they wanted kids to like it. I don't think they wanted kids to be truly freaked out by it and it's pretty scary looking sometimes so it makes sense that by making the voices a little goofier and making the characters sound a little more cartoonish and silly it kind of undercuts how creepy some of the visuals in this movie are and some of them are legitimately creepy. I mean one of the recurring characters in this movie is a little zombie boy with his eyes sewn shut. The boogeyman is a giant talking burlap sack filled with these disgusting worms, and Jack Skellington basically is Slender Man. So I can understand why they would want him to occasionally sound like this. My Sandy Claws outfit. Even though, because they've got Elfman, when they need to, they can make him sound like this. That's right! I am the Pumpkin King! <laughs> And that dramatic versatility and that wild range are definitely on display when Jack walks in during Making Christmas and expresses his delight at everything that he's seeing. My I mean, that is how you do a deranged laugh. Also, the way he does that smooth gear shift, he goes from his kind of middle voice all the way up to the very top, just completely smoothly, kills me. Dude is such a good singer. So I love this next part of the song because of the employer-employee relationship that it's kind of spoofing or mimicking. Um, Jack goes around and checks in with everybody to see what they're doing. And of course, everything they're doing is a total disaster because they're all monsters who scare people and they don't have any idea how to make a good Christmas toy. So we start with this tentacle-headed monster who's very excited about the hat that he's made out of a dead rat. It's not even really a hat. He's just sort of put a dead rat on someone's head. But he's very excited about it. And as he's singing, he's accompanied by that bass or contrabass clarinet over on the left, which sounds really cool, so keep an ear out for that. Won't they be impressed? I am a genius. See how I transform this old rat into a most delightful hat. I love that bass stuff over on the left, but then actually during the second half of that phrase, there's another cool musical thing going on. I'm sort of underneath everything. There's this bass line moving. It's like the upright basses and maybe a woodwind or something is playing it. And um, it's a really cool little counter melody that sounds like this.
Listen again and listen for that. I'll play along with it on piano so you can hear it a little better. See how I transform this old rat into a most delightful hat. So it's a nice little melody on its own, but if you listen to those first five notes, this is what they are. That cadence and rhythm might sound a little familiar because that's the same as the original motif for This is Halloween. This is Halloween! So there it is, just in that little counter bass melody, there's just a little hint of This Is Halloween underneath there, which again, perfectly fitting. There's so much stuff like this in here, I just wanted to point that one out because it's really cool. So Jack's response to this freaky rat hat is perfect. Okay, for starters, if your boss ever starts um, giving you feedback with, hmm, like that, it's probably not a good thing. But okay, let's hear what Jack has to say. My compliments from me to you on this your most intriguing hat. Consider, though, this substitute a bat in place of this old rat. <laughs> All right, I love that for so many reasons. First off, the mallet work that's going on behind Jack's vocals is just bananas and so, so, so cool. If you listen, you can hear there's a vibraphone and a xylophone kind of going back and forth. It's neat. I also love that he starts by saying, my compliments from me to you on this year most intriguing hat. He's so diplomatic that Jack, there's no wonder he is the leader of the people of this town. But of course, he also has some feedback to offer. He finishes out this phrase kind of giving some other feedback to people and being like, you're doing great, don't give up, because he's just so excited that he can't see that this whole thing is hopeless. My compliments from me to you on this your most intriguing hat. Consider though this substitute a bat in place of this old rat. <laughs> no, 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 now that's all wrong. This thing will never make a present. It's been dead for much too long. Try something fresher. Something pleasant. Try again. Don't give up. So from there, it's time for a montage as everybody works together to make Christmas as best they can. And the music does something very, very cool. It's the sharpest juxtaposition yet between Christmas and Halloween as they cut back and forth between Halloween Town and Christmas Town. So as we see the North Pole, where they're actually making Christmas because they know what they're doing, we can hear these sleigh bells ringing. But then, of course, it's time to go back to Halloween Town. And what better instruments to bring us there than the organ, the contrabassoon, and the nice little solo alto saxophone. Like so many great things, The Nightmare Before Christmas features a lot of saxophone. Danny Elfman loves that kind of sultry saxophone sound or kind of mournful, lonely saxophone sound that you can get from a soloist. There's some nice baritone sax solos and tenor sax solos, and there's that alto like you just heard on that part. There are a lot of times in this in this soundtrack where a saxophone will just sort of come to the fore, and it's really nice. They begin cutting back and forth faster now, and you can hear so many familiar Christmas sounds. The bells, the woodwinds, those French horns. So dramatic and noble. But then... (laughs) See if you can follow on just based on instrumentation.
Danny Elfman is the master of creepy whimsy, and we know he's got the creepy part down, you know, the weird low woodwinds, those creepy sounds, those mallets, a lot of these sort of ominous instruments, but he's also very good at whimsy, you know, he does the Christmas thing really well, the sleigh bells and the high piccolos and the noble French horns, that sound is the key to why the song What's This sounds so dramatically different, it's so happy and joyful and Jack feels so happy, it's the key to what makes this whole thing work, it sells you on the belief that he discovered something magical when he discovered Christmas Town. The monsters are all missing and the nightmares can't be found And in their place there seems to be good feeling all around Instead of screams I swear I can hear music in the air The smell of cakes and pies are absolutely So basically, Elfman has created two very distinct musical identities, the identity of Christmas and the identity of Halloween, and it isn't until making Christmas that those two musical identities come into such sharp contrast, and it's during this instrumental section as we're cutting back and forth between the North Pole and Halloween Town as they're kind of doing, you know, they're both making Christmas in very, very different ways. So you'll go from this... ...to this... love that organ, man. It's so good. Um, so it's not just a fun, you know, musical juxtaposition. It's also like really important musically, right? Because the contrast between those two things, between Christmas and Halloween, is at the heart of the conflict that kind of defines the entire story of this movie. So it's time to bring it home. The whole gang is ready. Everyone's excited and they're basically on the same page, except they aren't really. But they are making Christmas and they're excited about it. So it's time for Jack to bring them together with one of my favorite Danny Elfman vocal deliveries in the entire musical this time, this time. take it away And on that unresolved note, Christmas has been made, and it is time to unleash, did I say unleash, it is time to bestow it upon a waiting world. What could possibly go wrong? The Nightmare Before Christmas works for a lot of reasons. It works because of the beautiful stop-motion animation, it works because it's a funny story and the characters are great, but most of all, it works because of the music. And not just because it has good songs and good musicians playing interesting music, but because of that sharp juxtaposition between the sounds of Christmas and the sounds of Halloween. That contrast is perfectly embodied by the way that Danny Elfman has used motifs throughout this musical, not only in the clever way that he creates these catchy character motifs and then weaves them in and out of one another, but in the way that Jack's motif is built out of the same notes as making Christmas, because Jack, of course, is the one who has the dream that leads them to make Christmas in the first place. And not only that, but making Christmas itself is the same four-note motif that begins the Catholic Church's most iconic death chant, and at the heart of the Carol of the Bells, one of the most iconic Christmas carols of all time. It is for these reasons, and no doubt many more, that The Nightmare Before Christmas remains one of my favorite animated films, one of my favorite musicals, and easily my favorite Halloween movie of all time.
And that'll do it for my analysis of Making Christmas from Tim Burton and Danny Elfman's The Nightmare Before Christmas. As always, if you want to support me making this show, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. My Patreon supporters are great and they make it possible for me to do what I'm doing. Head over to patreon.com slash strong songs for more information. Another great way to support the show is leave me a review wherever you listen to this show. To everyone who's ever left a review for this show, thank you so much. All kinds of links are down in the show notes, a newsletter, playlists, a cool YouTube video you could check out, so look down there for all that. This episode's outro soloist is a guy you first heard a couple months ago, Mr. Steve Pardo on the alto saxophone. Sit back and enjoy his extremely high notes and find him playing around Nashville, Tennessee. I hope you all have a happy Halloween, don't eat too much candy, and I'll see you in two weeks with yet another strong song.